When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Juanita Ingram is pretty authentic. No, really. That's not always the case when you meet someone that you know from TV or the web, but she is. And Juanita is a powerhouse. She's an award-winning attorney, author, producer, and actress. And she's the founder and CEO of Purpose Productions, a nonprofit, woman-led production company with the mission of creating content that celebrates authentic, BIPOC narratives while empowering women and youth through film. If you didn't know, she's the creative brain behind the TV show, The Expats, The International Ingrams, which is one of the few unscripted shows that focuses on expat life, not to mention the experiences of a Black expat corporate family. See, she's committed to utilizing film as a vehicle for challenging negative stereotypes providing cross-cultural experiences for audiences throughout the world, and sharing balanced depictions of diverse cultures and powerful underrepresented narratives while serving to foster educational and cross-cultural exposure for global audiences. And if that's not enough, the Tennessee native, wife and mom, has been splitting her time between Singapore and London. With a bio like that, it may seem like things always fall into place. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. In this episode, Juanita candidly shares her truth and the many obstacles she's faced along the way. She discusses the reaction she received when she decided to step back from a highly successful law career to become a trailing partner and a stay-at-home mom for the first time in a foreign country. She opens up about the identity crisis and depression that followed and how she was able to move forward. Juanita also shares why her TV show is absolutely needed and the rocky path it took to getting it launched. By the end, you'll see what I mean by Juanita's realness, because she brought her whole self and more to this episode. Welcome to the Global Chatter. All right, so we're back with the latest episode of the Global Chatter. And, you know, you guys definitely listen to the introductions before I, I launch into our guest. But I feel like she's a name at this point. <laughs> and I'm laughing because I'm looking at her. Um, we were so privileged to do a feature on this guest about a year ago as she was launching her show and as her 
international expat brand, I think was, was, was really starting to take ground and to actually hear her voice and have her on the show. I am so honored to have her here. So Juanita Ingram is here, ladies and gentlemen. Juanita, how are you doing today? I am doing extremely well. The privilege was all mine. The honor is all mine to be here. I'm excited. I loved the write-up that you did about the show. It was one of my absolute favorites. I really appreciate the support. So I am excited to be here. You know, I one of the things I like to do with the show is, is that I occasionally will bring back people we've had on the site or over the years. And I think you're one of the few people who it's kind of a short turnaround just because I've seen all the work that you've done, you've been doing in the last year and a half and thought, you know, this is someone that I think your voice is very needed. And I want, I, I know that our audience will enjoy having you here. So thank you. I like to give context. Um, it's, it's more of a location check, to be honest, since we're always <laughs> all across the world. So tell everybody where you're currently located. I am currently in Singapore. So when we last uh, connected, I was living in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. We were there for two years and we moved to Singapore. I think it's been like almost eight months now that we've been here. It's just flown by. And I, you know, anyone who knows me and I said this to her off air, I love Singapore. And so I get, <laughs> I get really excited and I think about Orchard Street and, you know, I mean, I love you some Orchard. I, you know, when I was visiting, I was literally staying kind of a little bit right behind it. So it wasn't that mm. far for me to get. So yeah, yeah, it's just a fascinating, Singapore is a fascinating place. I, you know, it's a melting pot. I yes, would say it's very much, it's very diverse. Um, yeah. very much, I, you know, I, I have a lot of, um, colleagues and people that I know, and they described it as the London of Asia. And when you think about it in that regard, not just because that's the side of the street that they drive on, but they are just extremely diverse. Now, unlike London, it's very clean, extremely <laughs> clean. London's clean, but it's but not, you know, but right. there's the, the tube is the tube. As opposed right. to the MRT here, it's, it's immaculate and it's very inclusive. And Taiwan is beautiful. I love Taiwan. It's a great place. It is very homogeneous in terms mm-hmm. of its population. Mm-hmm. And coming from there to here, I was in culture shock in a very good way, in the sense that no one cared that I was here. And it was nice. <laughs> I, walked, <laughs> right. I walked down the street. Nobody stared at me. I was like, I'm here and nobody cared. And it was great. It was really good. <laughs> and if you've ever had the experience of where you're stared at quite a bit, mm-hmm. you will know how much nice it is to, not that you're blending in, but at least nobody, yeah. nobody's taking the time to notice that you're there. And, yes. and, I, and I will affirm what you said, because I've, I've done a lot of solo travel. Singapore is probably the easiest solo travel I've ever, I mean. It's uh, very, I, I yeah. They speak English. It's Everything's clean. in English. You know, They're, we, we had a driver when we were in Taiwan and people will hear that and think, oh, la-di-da. But no, it was safety because right. you cannot read the street signs. Right. And if that street sign <laughs> says, don't come over here, you don't know. And right. So right. If you, you know, it's like, it was a matter of, of public safety right. for everybody else on the road as well. It's not what you want. <laughs> you right. don't want someone driving that can't read the language. So it is so easy here. It, the public transportation Everything's in English. Everyone speaks English. And I know that sounds very um, westernized in our Mm -hmm. mentality. But when you are abroad, sometimes it does make it a lot easier. I mean, there are still cultural aspects, but they're they're elective. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You elect to engage in them or not. You know, it's nice because I think being abroad presents its own struggles 
And, you know, we lived in London for almost five years before we moved to Taiwan, which was an easy, easier, immersive kind of experience. Mm -hmm. Being in Europe was a little bit easier than when you are truly in a country where English really is not the first language and you do not speak their language. That's a different experience. Mm -hmm. And, And one that I do think is extremely beneficial because you need to yeah. get out of yourself and recognize that there are other cultures. I, I know enough Mandarin to be quiet. I know enough to <laughs> hush and know that um, each word means eight different things. And some of these words mean things that I don't need to say. So I, 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 I caution myself, <laughs> but I know enough. Yeah, I know enough for my kids not to conspire. So my kids are becoming very fluent. So I took <laughs> courses so they wouldn't you know, conspire and I wouldn't know, but I do think that having and being abroad in a place where, uh, it stretches you and it's not comfortable is a great experience also. And then getting a break from that and coming to a place like Singapore is also really nice. So, yeah. (laughs) Yes. I, yeah, no, I would definitely say for me, when I was living in the Middle East, Singapore was Mm -hmm. just a respite. Not that where I was was great. It was just, you know, you need to be somewhere different. And I, in my case, somewhere different. And I didn't have to, I hate to say this. I didn't want yes, to think too hard. It is, it is that. Where where you hear <laughs> like, the theme I, song from Cheers, right. you know, as you get off the plane. Right. <laughs> and you always right. glad you came. Well, as they yeah. also say, make sure you're not bringing any drugs. Exactly. It's punishable well, you know, there's the that. Plane. But like, <laughs> you don't want to get caned and all that. But after that, after you pass customs, right. then the theme song from Cheers come on. And you're like, you know. Everybody knows your name because you can tell them your name in English because there's that. There's that. Right. Well, and also, and now that I think about it, once again, Doha is an amazing airport, but the airport in Singapore is kind of fire too. Now that 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 I'm going through it in my mind. That whole waterfall thing. I mean, you people go just to like hang out. Yes. Singapore in that regard, I think a lot of uh, what they have here, there's so much to explore and see. It is a very culturally rich, visually, aesthetically, just breathtaking country. It really, really is. And there's really not a corner that you turn that there isn't something spectacular. I don't know if this is the Singapore way, but I'm like, all your trees have to have sequins. Like, why, why, you know, like this is my kind of town, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it is, you are right. It is Mm -hmm. very pretty. And, and they've managed they don't have a lot of space yep. being, you know, but they've managed to maximize it. And to your point, I, I spent a day in the botanical gardens just by myself. And that was, I could even, I don't think I even finished no. everything. Like it yeah. was wild. Yeah, it, it is. It is absolutely, it's, it's breathtaking. I mean, it's just amazing. Like I, we did yeah. Christmas, the Christmas lights in the botanical gardens and yeah. I, you know, and now it was 80 degrees. <laughs> it was, <yeah>. right. <laughs> right. So was it a winter wonderland? It was a. Yes, it was winter light wonderland <laughs> and the lights were amazing and I was sweating, but it was pretty. It was right? really pretty. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the thing. I, I mean, I grew up, so I grew up in Cameroon. So I've actually grown up with hot mm. Christmases. So actually a snowy Christmas don't even make sense to me because I'm like, we would go to the beach. I mean, that's just. Because, you know, Southern Hemisphere, whatever, it was warm. And so, yeah, you know, being in the States, I'm like, this is actually kind of weird. We could all be at the beach, but 
you know, it's also like 10 degrees. So, but I, I want to give a little bit of context. Like I said, you, you, you know, you've got your show and there's all the stuff that you're doing, but I want to give a little bit of context because I knew you, you know, you mm-hmm. grew up in Tennessee and, and from doing my research, I, I'm understanding there's probably a little bit of travel, but limited travel when you were younger. Is that about, does that sound right? Or did you, where did your family go domestically or internationally? Well, we didn't really vacation a whole lot, um, to be honest. And when we did, we went to like Atlanta. I think growing up, I went to Destin yeah. maybe twice. And one was because I was mm-hmm. in the band and the band was going to Disney World, <laughs> you know? So it wasn't, we didn't grow up vacationing in that way. I mean, my parents, my mom was a school teacher. So in the summertime, her house was the house that everybody sent their kids to that still had to work. So we had very enriched you know, enriching summers that with 20 some odd kids all the time. But vacationing and travel was not something that I did a great deal of. Now, I did have the opportunity through two programs. And I think that was the thing that really instilled in me the desire to be beyond. I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is a beautiful, beautiful city. I love my hometown. Um, but the idea that I could live beyond Chattanooga was installed in me through a program mm-hmm. I went to called Black Achievers. It was put on by the YMCA and they took us to Washington, D.C. And I think that was my junior year in high school. It was the first time that I'd ever really gone that far. Like Atlanta is 80 miles outside of Chattanooga. So that was the furthest that I'd ever gone. But then I went to D.C., at that time, I was convinced I was going to go become an FBI agent because we went to the FBI Academy. And <laughs> I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to move to D.C. And then I also was involved in a program called Inroads, which offered sort of mm-hmm. uh, uh, youth. I, I don't want to say minority. I think they in their mission statement was minority and children of color, which we don't use anymore. But that was their mission statement. So it was basically black youth that they gave internship opportunities. And the company that I interned with they ended up shutting down the Chattanooga office and they allowed me this my senior year to go to actually it wasn't my senior year. I think I was in college. They shut down my senior year during college. They allowed me to go to New Jersey and I interned in New Jersey uh, for two summers. And then they also allowed me my first clerkship after while I was in law school was also in New Jersey. And those three summers, I think gave me the confidence to know that, you know, it's like the song says, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Cause I was in, now I was supposed to be interning in New Jersey. I was in New York every weekend. I was in Harlem. I was all up and down, you know, <laughs> like Jersey shore. I was everywhere. And it allowed me to have confidence that I could make it outside of what was familiar, but I did not travel internationally until my honeymoon. I was 27 years old before I left the country. I mean, I think in college, there's one da- guy I dated. I think we went to Aruba or something, but I don't really count that. It's like truly, truly leaving the U.S. I don't, you know, but in terms of really going abroad, we took our honeymoon to Rome and Florence. And at the time I had this feeling, I told my my husband we were engaged and I said, I don't have any reason to think this, any reason to have this idea, but I really feel like God is going to call us to live internationally and we have to get prepared. And he was like, okay, (laughs) alrighty then. And this is why I'm smiling. So a few, well, it's not a few, probably season two, I had Dr. Carmen Brown 
And this is why I'm thinking about this, because obviously you you were an attorney and you are an attorney. She is an OBGYN. Her husband is an anesthesiologist, Black couple from from the Atlanta area. And when I asked her, you know, and they now live in, they lived in New Zealand and now they live in Australia. And I asked them, you know, and I asked her, you know, what was your first kind of thing, you know, going abroad? It was similar to her where she was like, look, I think it was, I think it was around honeymoon for her as well. And it made sense because they were also in like med school, (laughs) right? And, 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 and it was for them, they went abroad and they came back. And then once they figured out they could take international yeah. trips, it kind of clicked in their brain, you know, and and in her case, and I'm actually encouraging people to listen to this episode, they were on a trip in Australia and or in New Zealand and randomly met a doctor who said, you know, you could live here, wow. who was American, who has moved over there. So when I hear kind of that foreshadowing with your own story where you just had the sense and, and kind of the providence that yeah. we gonna do this. I'm sure your husband was like, look, ma'am, I'm from, where's your husband from anyway? He Honey, from, is he from Tennessee Alabama. or Ohio? Where? He, he from, oh. Where it makes it look like I came from the big city. <laughs> right? You No, you did. Because Chattanooga, did he come from no. at least Birmingham? He or? came from a place. No, he did. Yes. He came from it's a small called town. Oakman. You've never heard of it. It's called Oakman, Alabama. They have like population 1,200 people or something like that. One stop sign. No, yeah. And, and it was, it's. I, he's like, oh, you're you're a big city girl, aren't you? You know, like, yeah, you and your Chattanooga <laughs> sophistication. Yeah, and checking it, I guess whatever he got on that plane to Rome, he, did. he was or he was doing it. By the way, Florence is amazing. Yes, but yes he he did he did. And we were we were he horrible travelers. The first oh we were we were trash. <laughs> we were trash. It was horrible. We had listened to like Rick Steves, which was like had those guys. Yeah, Rick Steves. Still He's doing still it. doing it. Yeah, we yeah. still have like every Rick Steves book. Don't tell anybody. But we were like <laughs> hiding our little bum bags underneath our sweaters and he would go in to get money and I would stand by his back and I would look around to make sure nobody was going to pickpocket us. <laughs> it was horrible. We didn't have the right type of luggage. I think I might have bought a garment bag. Don't talk about it. When I tell you trash, <laughs> I am not exaggerating. We were horrible. We've come so long. But you can see the progress. That's what I was going to say. You can see the progress, though. You're in Singapore and you've lived in a couple of countries. And every every (laughs) year we made this commitment for our anniversary to travel abroad. Uh, And so the next year we went to Paris with like five other couples. Mm -hmm. And then the year after that, we kind of backpacked across Spain. I got my packing together. We we made it happen. Um, And then after that, we started having children. And then lo and behold, it was time to move to London. And I don't think that we would have had the confidence to feel that, yes, we can, had we not traveled extensively, specifically through Europe and had that experience and really laid the groundwork for us to feel like this is okay. And we're, and this is something that we can do. And no, I don't mind if the ketchup tastes different. And no, I don't care, you know, because you know, I, I had friends who were living abroad, and they were like, "I hate this. the 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 jelly is not right." And I'm like, "You're gonna let that cloud your whole experience because the croissants taste different than you know, this they don't yeah. have bisquick like it, you. I think it takes a certain type, yeah, to really get out of your comfort zone and to know that that's something that you can do. It's different to travel and and uh, visit." as opposed to living and yeah. it gives you the the ability to see 
whether or not that's something you would enjoy long term or whether or not you want to come home. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of set up some context for us because we know that and we'll talk about it, that London was your first expat posting. You know, you brought us this far. You were a practicing attorney. Yeah. <laughs> right. And this opportunity comes, which is through your husband's mm-hmm. employment. Right. What's the conversation that has that you guys have? Because I know that there's some people thinking, okay, you you're a black woman. Yes. <laughs> successful, an attorney, like however we define success, because I've had this conversation with other black women who've been successful and decided mm-hmm. to make a complete switch, right? You you probably've got this, you know, you've got this job, yes. you're doing your thing, you've got this community. Obviously, your husband works in the corporate space. I'm going to say that because he's not a diplomat, he's not military. He works in the corporate space, right? What's the conversation look like? And not not even necessarily between the two of you, although that's important, but also when you both decide, okay, we're going to move abroad. How's that received? From others outside of us, it is great for him. It is, oh my gosh, this is so wonderful. You're such a leader. You're great. This is wonderful. And I'm talking outside of us as his family, friends, colleagues. For me, it was the yeah. first assignment. <laughs> now that we're on like the third continent, they're like, okay, yes. you know, but the first assignment, there was fear. There was, are you crazy? I was working for Rolls Royce as in-house counsel. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm from, again, I'm from Tennessee. So there was many a uh, conversation of, you going to quit that good job? You know, because <laughs> are you, are you sure? Uh, are you sure God has called you to do this? Are you, I'm serious. Right. For our, ch- yes, for our yes. church folk. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I know exactly. I know exactly where that question is going. Our yes, pastor I understand. It's like, <laughs> have you prayed about this? Not for him, but for me. And I'm like, what? but if it's, if he's going to go, I have to go. Like you, you can't feel, but for me giving up and shifting careers in that way was very jarring for people. This was 10 years ago, uh, going on 11 years now. And at that time, there was no talk of multi-hyphenates. There was no talk of, you know, being um, a whole brainer or doing other things or making a pivot. It was, you do know you're being groomed for the federal bench. What are you doing? It was, you're throwing your entire career away. What are you doing? And at the time, I think I gave into the pressure of trying to figure out, because so oftentimes we do and this isn't just female people. We equate our identity, our self-worth with what it is that we do. And it's not as though I went through law school. I did a JD MBA program at the same time, passed the bar the first time. Then we moved from Tennessee to Indianapolis. I had only been practicing for three years. So I had to take the entire bar exam again, pass it again, just so you know it's real. And, you know, I mm-hmm. no one does yeah, all of right. that because they don't want to practice law. I have a lot of friends that looked at moving abroad like, okay, this is my escape. They didn't really enjoy what they were doing. And now they use it like, this is great. Now I get to do something else. This is a great opportunity. I liked being a lawyer. I still do. I don't have a problem with the legal profession. Do I think that sometimes it's toxic? Sure. But so is every profession. It just depends on what you're doing. But I loved what I was doing. The conversation between he and I, um, I naively 
was just really gung ho because I love traveling abroad. And I'm like, yes, and this is confirmation. And I knew it wasn't voices. It was God. Thank the Lord. I don't have to get on any pills. I'm not crazy. You know, like it was confirmation. Yes. Yeah. this is what I knew this was coming. I say naive because I did not take uh, a real like assessment of the totality of what that meant for me. I was so focused on we're going to go live abroad. This is going to be a great experience. I had two small children at the time. Oh, this is going to be great for them. And I was focused on how great it was going to be yeah. for everybody else. And for us as a family, it did not hit me. And I think I avoided it. You know, it's kind of like I just closed my eyes and said, I'm not going to deal with that right now. Maybe I never have to deal with that, but people wouldn't let me not deal with it because it was a constant. And what yeah. are you doing? And what are you going to do? Mm. And, you know, I had mm. never been a stay-at-home mom before. I had mm-hmm. a 15-month-old that I was still breastfeeding and a three-year-old. And I could still hear the gravel underneath the tires as my husband backed out of the driveway the first day. And I'm sitting there with one on the hip and looking at the other. And they were looking at me like, what are we going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you do at daycare? You know, <laughs> and, and it was one of those, one of those moments <laughs> right. where uh, the first four months in London, I spent in depression. I did not know what trailing spouse depression was. I didn't know what trailing spouse syndrome was. Uh, I was in it and Mm -hmm. I had no idea because Mm -hmm. I had no way of knowing what I was going to do. And for some women, being a stay-at-home mom is a dream. That's all they wanted to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. It wasn't all that I needed to fulfill me. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, First, I had to come to reality and give myself permission to mourn the trajectory that I was on in my career. And I had not done that. I didn't look at it that way. And I think that's what really threw me into this. I sat in one spot on my couch uh, when I finally got my daughter into daycare that my son was too young and uh, he couldn't start for like the first six or seven months that we were there. I would drop my daughter off. I would go back and sit on the same spot, play with my son, cry. He didn't know. And I did that for about four months. Mm -hmm. And I did not know that I was in a state of identity crisis and really sad that all of my friends were going on with their careers. And I didn't know what this meant for me. And I hadn't given myself full permission Mm -hmm. to say, Juanita, what else do you like to do? You know, this is not the end. This is a new beginning. I tell myself I I wasted the first four months because I was so focused on what I was giving up that I didn't really focus on what I was gaining. But I think I needed to go through that process. Mm -hmm. And I tell, I advise people all the time to start thinking about trailing spouses in particular, to think about what their life is going to look like before they go. If you have time, if you have the ability, even if it's just for a day, what does this look like for you? Because we get so caught up in being the support system as we should be. Mm -hmm. But when the kids go off to school and you're sitting there, What are you going to do? And are you okay with what you're giving up? And if you're not, that's okay too. It's okay for you to be happy and sad. Two things can be true at the same time. I had to mourn the the trajectory that I thought my career was going to go on in order to get me past it. Now I look back on it and I'm like, what were you upset about? (laughs) What were you, what were you thinking? It was not that big of a deal. But at the time, it definitely was until I redefined myself. I I got with a life coach and my world was never the same. 
because the first person that you have to convince is yourself. And she helped me to really understand who I was, not what I did, but who are you? What is it that lights you on fire? What can you do? What do you want to do? What does this really mean for you? She was the one that helped me come up with the 3 a alliteration because people thought I was having a midlife crisis. When I did start pursuing other things, they're like, oh, what's wrong with you? You're you're acting now. And I'm like, no, I'm acting again. I started out acting when I was nine. I'm just doing what I know I've always been gifted to do and never had time. But she was the one that helped me come up, that helped me to come up with like attorney, author, actress. When I started writing books, people were like, you're a writer now. I had those books stored up in me. I never had the time to write them. I had the titles, I had the concepts, I had the outlines. I didn't have time to do it. So morning where I thought I was going to go allowed me to get out of the pit and get out of that faster and then giving myself permission not to be defined by one label. I had to give it to myself first. And then once I started thriving, then everybody was like, oh, she's great. But I was like, just three months ago, I was having a midlife crisis. Let y'all tell that was crazy. You know? But now it's like, oh, she's a multi-hyphenate and she's you know multifaceted and she's got all these different talents and this is great. I had to convince myself first and then those who were meant to get it would or not. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we're back from the break, and you know, as you were listen- as you all were listening, you heard Wanya kind of tell her story about moving to London, and she has moved to a couple of places since then. And I really, though, want to talk a little bit about the work that she's doing now because I think that that is the thread through all of her moves since she's left the U.S. And so many of you know, which is you know part of the reason how we got connected to her is that she has her reality show the expats, the international Ingrams, which I know so many people who are excited about the show just because, first of all, you rarely hear about Black expats, hence why I have a whole site that's been around for years of this platform. But then you don't see, you don't see as many reality shows about expats. And then you really don't see reality shows about Black expats at all, right? So as you and I both know, we all get con- we get confused with travel. That's where they think this is. And it's like, nah, this is living your life abroad. So I want you to tell us a little bit about the context of your show and how your show came about. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes. Uh, 
I came up with the concept of the show while I was living in London, actually. So it took me about four years before I actually started rolling the cameras. I, at the time, um, we were getting ready to move back. So it was like our last six months there. And I knew that we were kind of, it was coming to an end um, eventually. Because, you know, you're, you're, there are tax consequences if you stay beyond five right. years. So you know it's a corporate expense. <laughs> right. You, you're going somewhere right. within five years. It's going to happen. Uh, and so... We used to do these things called Soul Food Sundays where we would go from house to house and it was about 35 of us and five different families. And uh, we could have been anywhere, though. It was very like Frankie Beverly and Mays was playing Beyonce. We're barbecuing out on the lawn. The kids are running around and we could have been in Tennessee. We could have been in Detroit, anywhere. And then one day I looked up and there was Windsor Castle because that's where we were living at the time. And it was right there in the background. And it struck me because I had started my own law practice uh, again in preparation of going back. I had clients who were in the entertainment space who were in reality TV. And so I was familiar with the genre, familiar with the deals that were done Mm -hmm. and really becoming familiar with unscripted space. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that there was a void. And just what you said, one there weren't a lot of shows that normalized black people just being. Mm-hmm. There had never been a show about anybody living abroad. There's never been a show about expats, period. Certainly never had been a show about black people living abroad. Like you said, it was always travel. When we tried to pitch the show, because in my mind, I'm like, I'll pitch this show. And somebody like Bravo or ITV or pick it up. And they were like, yeah, we don't do travel shows. And I'm like, it's it's not a travel show. Mm. <laughs> and, it's a life. It's, but like, it's, a, let me not to, it's, it's a lifestyle, lifestyle show. show. Right. But the concept of black people living abroad and lifestyle, they were like, well, what's the drama? You know, is there an ensemble cast? Who's going to fight? <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's not that kind of reality show. It is dramatic enough. Life And I, I'm, the first subtitle of the show was The Expats, Life's Real Drama. Mm-hmm. Because life is dramatic enough. As you know, as you, we can see from the show, moving abroad is dramatic enough. You don't have to make up storylines. You don't have to produce stuff. And I, I just got familiar with this genre. And I think there were a lot of people that were growing tired of the same sort of regurgitated storylines, especially for us as Black people. I do think that we are handled much differently within that genre mm. than of other counterparts. Mm-hmm. So, like for example, I you know I love Chris Lee knows best. I love that show. It is a show about a white man doing nothing. Mm-hmm. It is. Right. It is a family, <laughs> and they doing nothing. Right. But I love it, and I want to do nothing with them. <laughs> the grandmother gives me life. Oh, gra- that grandmother is everything. I want to hang out with her. She is hilarious. But I think for other groups, they are able to be normalized that their lives and everyday lives can be interesting. And oh, isn't that interesting? Just anything interesting about them is enough mm-hmm. to substantiate. Let's take a look at this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. For us, the commonality in the show is navigating change. Mm-hmm. That's all this is about. And that's really all being abroad. What the main thing, amongst other things, and you know, the nuances and the logistics and all of that, but what you're doing is navigating change. Mm. And we all navigate it differently. It means different things. There are different, that's the ultimate high stake. And isn't that the highest stake in life? Yeah. Is and and it doesn't matter where you are. You can be a domestic trailing spouse. I was the first time I trailed as a spouse was from Chattanooga to Indianapolis. I had to take a whole nother bar exam. That's when we really should have been filming because that was, you know, I was a 
I was a dramatic mess. I let my husband have it. I told him, you only get one of these. I don't love anybody enough to do that again. And so, <laughs> but, you know, but when Kim Kardashian sits for the bar, it is an entire season. Yeah. But normalizing us doing normal things where we want to see us just being has been sort of characterized as, well, that's not what people want to see. That's not what's interesting. No, that's not what you give. Yeah. You only give us fights and flipping tables and throwing drinks. And that's not to say that we don't do that. That's not to say that there's anything wrong with those shows. I watch them all. I enjoy them all. I love a good housewife series as much as I love. I do. And I know people are like, I hate it. I love it. I don't think that you can be in this genre and not have an appreciation for everyone because a lot of these shows pave the way or there will be no expats. They laid a blueprint, good or bad. But I don't think that black people are a monolith. And so I know we aren't. And even within our show, black people living abroad aren't a monolithic group. And that's why we have five other expats from season one, seven other expats from season two that show you the different paths that they took because we're corporate expats. We had digital nomads. You know, we had students who came and stayed, teachers, different people that were taking different routes. But I knew when I looked around and everyone at that picnic and everyone at the Soul Food Saturday was a senior director, a vice president, a general manager. They were running countries. Everybody was a doctor, lawyer, and Indian chief. And it wasn't just men that led their families over there. Mm -hmm. There were senior directors that were women who were leading in the corporate space, living abroad. And it was beautiful. And I never saw it. And so we have to be able to show and redefine success and what success means, what it looks like, the opportunities that are there for ourselves, for youth. I mean, the biggest compliment that I received about this show came from a grandmother. She slid in my DMs and told me she did. She was like, I just want to tell you, I set my two grandkids down in front of this. I didn't have to worry about what they were watching. I didn't have to worry about turning their heads away from anything. And then when they got up from your series, they binged it in three days. They wanted to keep watching. And when they got up, they asked me about traveling abroad before they never wanted to go anywhere. They were scared when they got up from your show. The question that they had was, where are we going? And I loved it. And that's what we need to to normalize us. One, just being and having a family friendly show that is everyday life navigating change now it's everyday life the high stakes is yeah we're doing it in taiwan and there are language barriers and there are things that we have to do and so that's what makes it super interesting but we don't get to see that we don't get to see us in international spaces and i was on another podcast um one day and the host was a white woman and she told me she was like i'm so glad to see this because the expat space is really white. <laughs> she was like, there are not a lot of corporate expats. And I was like, now you said it, I didn't. You know? <laughs> oh, I say it all the time. I'm pretty sure I said it right. in the Wall Street Journal, actually. <laughs> yeah. and, it's, and, it's, and it's true. And I think sometimes for some people, the show was shocking. Like, are they real? Is this, are they serious? Is this, I honestly had people write in and say, are they real? Is this real? Because it is so rare. And we are not seen in this particular light or in this particular way. Um, the majority of our families that we see, especially again, and you can see the differentiation in the way things are handled from fran one franchise to another, how real housewives of Atlanta and how their relationships, their marriages and black men are handled on that show are different 
from the husbands and the way that they're handled on Beverly Hills. I don't care. Challenge me. I know I'm right because I've studied enough and it's it's just different. And so to see that we can have a definition of success and be on TV and my husband is not an athlete. He is not a rapper. He is a real talk. You know, he's a, right. he is a <laughs> right. black man who grew up in Alabama, went to school, did well in school, you know, worked hard, graduated with his MBA from Duke and is leading. And that depiction of success is new and it is rare and it has not been shown. And I felt like if I didn't do this, who would? And, and, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, most people shoot a pilot and, 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 you know, try to shop it. I tried and people did not understand that when it wasn't a travel show and we had all the high stakes. I mean, we had a great pitch package. It wasn't because of effort. My my show agent was great. Even now, I think it's just so new to normalize us in international spaces where we're not traveling. We are living, thriving. It is It is outside of the box. It is different. And as a filmmaker, content creator, you want to always tell a story that hasn't been told. Yep. And so I do consider it a privilege and an honor to have been blessed enough to do that. And it is a huge responsibility because it's very rare that you get to tell a new story. You have said a word and we're going to unpack that word because there's there's a lot of things there that you hit on. Um, you were talking and you reminded me of Jennifer Poe, who years ago when I did an interview with her, she'd written this book focused on her experiences of being a black young black woman who had gone to Argentina. And one of the things she said, and I have I have continued to parrot this years after she, you know, younger from New York, she said, is that when you think about it and you look at movies, you never see a movie of a young black or brown person that has an experience like um, Audrey Hepburn. And in and and when where, why, why is my brain blanking? You know what I'm talking about? The classic Audrey Hepburn, Tiffany's or like. There's the one Roman holiday. That's the one, you know what I mean? Literally it's called like you never see a young black when, whenever. And I've said this repeatedly, whenever you see black people moving, it is almost always because of strife war conflict, right? So they are escaping something going on in their country, right? Usually it's conflict or there's some kind of just insane discrimination that they're going on. We don't see stories like this. And so you are right. When you say normalize, it's the same thing about my site. When people went, where do you find all these black expats? And I'm like, guess what? They're all around us. But it's just that we don't stop because you, I mean, think about the origin story of yours, right? You were sitting amongst black expats who were, and in, in your case, these are corporate expats. So for people who don't understand people who move because of employment, like they were moved usually because of a multinational company, or at least a company that is hires international staff. And it's usually at a senior level because you're hired for your yeah. expertise. But you were sitting amongst very educated, very talented black folks from wherever they were from. And, and the fact that people, first of all, can't conceptualize this because they don't see it. But then exactly. the second thing that you said, and I, I was like, yes, is why do we always have to have conflict in our stories? So even when I talked about moving, right? Like, why, did, why does it always have to be like, why couldn't it just be like this black person moved to Accra? Because they just want to be in Ghana. Yeah. Well, and, and why can't that be interesting? Because it can be interesting when, you know, um, 
Kourtney Kardashian orders a salad with no almonds. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you can, I, you can edit that and it's like, no almonds. <laughs> Sorry. Like, that is so, like, vanilla. And yeah, yeah right, right. Not right. It, you know what I'm saying? But it's like, uh, uh, the grandmother, I think your name is uh, Granny, Granny Faye. On Chris Lee Knows Best, took up swimming lessons. It was the most hilarious <laughs> segment that I had ever seen. Her, now, it, it was, I have a, a bad sense of humor, and I say bad because, like, I will laugh at inappropriate things. Right, I don't care if it's funny. If it's funny, it's funny. Right. Her swim teacher at the time was like this really buff young black man. And, honey, Gran- Granny Faye couldn't hold it together. <laughs> and so, but she was going to a swim class. Right. And that is a show segment and a whole episode. And it's a show. And rightfully so. It is entertaining. Yeah. It is funny. Why can't we just be funny? Why do, why do we have to have trauma? Why do we have to have negative drama? I And, and what I was telling them about the show is like, we don't do negative drama. You know, it's, it's not that kind of, it's, it's enough drama. And then lo and behold, oh my gosh. Then came COVID. I mean, come on. <laughs> we right. have a very, it was a very, but even without that, the first half of the show is without that. And it is dramatic. There are high stakes. There are funny moments. There are heart. I, I remember I was on a, another podcast and this guy that was interviewing me said, I cried when I watched the show. He was like, I laughed. I cried. I, he had been living in Taiwan for 16 years. And he was like, I forgot what it was like to navigate that change. I forgot what it was like to get there and be new. I forgot yeah. what it was like to go to the grocery store and try to read ingredients. I would, I had the audacity to try to become vegan. It's some <laughs> stuff I ate. I still don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you, it was. You don't change your was, diet until you can read the packets correctly. You just, whatever you were eating before, just keep eating it <laughs> until you can. I, I, that nobody gave me that. That ain't the time. Nobody. That ain't the time to become like <laughs> Man, and there's again, I go back to there is nothing wrong with other shows, but they are so limited in how they position us. I, I look at Issa Rae, mm-hmm. who is like my shero. Mm-hmm. Had Issa Rae not done Awkward Black Girl and done it herself mm-hmm. to show, yes, there is an interest in seeing us mm-hmm. navigate through life as single black women. Mm-hmm. We can be the lead. We have interesting things going on in our lives that people want to see play out. And people thought she was crazy for doing Awkward Black Girl on her own. But had she not done that, there would be no insecure. Yeah. yeah. Because you had never seen it. Yeah. To your point of the Audrey Hepburn that you don't get to see being Black, where, like, I remember My Fair Lady. Yeah. Loved it. And yeah. I love musicals. The race, course, the race course that she was debuted at, I ran every morning because I lived around the corner in Ascot and that was my norm. Yeah. And so I think there's also a level of um, luxury, a level of affluence, a level of success that also is not shown Mm -hmm. unless it is connected to being a rapper or some sort of athlete or Mm -hmm. some sort of star, but living comfortably for us even though and I, I saw a YouTube video that, you know, there's a huge, large majority of like young black millionaires that is on the rise in the U.S. now. You don't hear about that. You don't see 
that. And so it was conceptually, they just, you mean to tell me nobody's going to fight each other and y'all are just going to be living abroad and going through life's challenges. And I, re- I won't say the network that told me this, but it was a black network. I ain't going to say no names because I love everybody. And my, you know, I've got deals on the table. And, I was gonna say, say you, and you might get a deal in a minute so later on. So and, let's not. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying it ain't. Fainted names, but it was a panel of five middle to older age white men that told me, I don't know if this show will connect to 25 to 45 year old black college educated upper middle class women. That's our demographic. And I said, So y'all, I'm not gonna connect to me because you just, I, I, you know, I started talking to this third person, you know, right? I was like, Well. Or her, she, I, we would watch it. You know, I, I don't understand. You're talking about me, she, her. That, I don't understand. And this is why it was meant for you to do it your own. Other people can't tell us what we want to watch. No. And none of us, you and I'm including myself in this, you and me would not have platforms if people did not continue to want to engage with the content. Mm-hmm. And and I am, I like to be drama free and I've been very drama free it's easy when you have been overrepresented to say people don't want to see that. Yes. You have never considered that there are people who look like this person in front of you and we don't see it. And the thing is, intuitively, as someone who's been in the space and who grew up abroad, I have seen it and I've had that privilege. But explaining it to folks who I'm saying this could be you without them having had my experience and having not seen it is hard, but they could go to your show and at least have a reference point. So that's the thing. That's the hill I will forever die on. On If you think it's not interesting, that probably means because you're overrepresented because y'all could literally be sitting and every episode could be y'all just having dinner at the dinner table, recounting everything that's happened that day. And people would still watch it because they'd be like, y'all, there's this black American family that is in Singapore. I ain't even been to Singapore. I don't even know what they eating. This is this is funny to me. <laughs> like, because black people, let's be honest. I don't know if other people get this. We can also be entertained very easily because we have family barbecues and family. Do you know what I mean? Like half the stories that we get abused by literally is us recounting something that happened in a family gathering. So we don't need we actually don't even need a fight. A fight's extra, but we don't need it. We don't need it. And we already have it. Right. We have seasons and seasons. When you talk about being overrepresented, overrepresented, that part is overrepresented. That part has been saturated and done. Okay, we get it. Don't touch my wig. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I understand. Don't talk about me behind my back. Say it to my face. We get it. Right. We understand. We got all those storylines. And that is great. And we will be entertained. But the problem is, to your point, you're exactly, you're spot on. That is it. The problem is, is that then they translate that to say, and that's all you want to see. Right. But no, that's all you give. And it's a difference between having high ratings because you are a big fish in a little pond. And yes. you're, that's the only thing. You, of course, your ratings are high. You have nothing else. But if you gave people something else, I'm pretty sure that people would not have expected awkward black girl to have that many followings, but we want it. We want to see it. We love it. We, we are here for it. We don't have to always lead with trauma. We don't have to always lead with negativity. 
in our lives. And and it was the Black Panthers in the 70s that came up with the concept. And it's what my production company focuses on and what the show was built on is called edutainment. Mm-hmm. So you can educate people and entertain at the same time and really, really entertain. Yeah. And it's not it's not a PBS special. Yeah. You know, it's it's not. It's very entertaining. It's very funny. And it's it's really high drama. That's and it's nothing negative about it. It's just honest. Obviously, when you decided to do the show, you are opening up a certain part of your family and experiences to put it on camera. So there's a there's a certain level of vulnerability there. Mm. So what's it like? I mean, it's still a show, but what's it like living at least part of your life on camera, kind of with that giving people a peek in? It's probably not as stressful as others that have done it that weren't in total control of their show. Mm. So for me, I didn't really have, like I've had friends uh, and clients who are in reality TV and it's very stressful because you don't know what the producers are going to do. There's always an agenda and things mm. are very heavily produced in the sense that it's not that they're not honest, but it's not always just roll it. Let's see what happens. And our show is very intentional in the sense that, uh, you know, like, OK, we're going to go to the grocery store. That is a scene we're going to do. Now, what happens when we go there? We don't know. That's very rare. And it's different. It's it's. It wasn't hard for me being in front of the camera because I was acting before this. It wasn't hard for my kids because both of them want to be actors and they were in theater and they were, you know, and if they see a red light come on, they do too. And so for them, it was fun. It was interesting. It is now. My son is hilarious. Like sometimes he'll he'll be on set and he's like, can I do this scene? Cause Kinsley really isn't giving life right now. And I think she's having a bad day. And I just, I think I need you. I think you need me because it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's boring and you're giving boring mom. Nobody's going to watch that. It's, it's dry. You know, you guys are dry. <laughs> My kids love it. My husband, oddly enough, I wasn't sure because Keenan is not a creative and I was not sure what he was going to do. He gives very, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants. You know, he's very <laughs> conservative. And so he's way more conservative than I am. His storyline of being the frugal dad, that is not a storyline. That is who he is. And yeah. so I wasn't sure what he was going to do. I was so pleasantly surprised. He is so great on camera. Oh, my gosh. He's hilarious. And I always knew he made me laugh. But you never know what people are going to do in front yeah. of the camera. And he is totally comfortable uh, so it was easy for us, I think, because they trust me. They know me, obviously. And when you're in control of the narrative, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen in editing. I'm editing it. <laughs> right. Know? I'm like, this is true. I had, I had friends who were like, oh, don't show my oh. back guy. And I'm like, girl, we don't do back rolls on this show. <laughs> I'm never going to put you in a bad light. If I, if I shoot oh. you from behind. Oh my God. It's Black people be- and ownership. Black ownership. people. Don't- I-, I hope they're hearing you on this. This is why I own everything yeah. because once you give it up. Well, because, and here's the thing I don't mind now that we've established and we'll have season two coming out shortly. Yes. Now that we've established a blueprint for what the show is, I mm. don't have any hesitancy in partnering now because people understand. They see what the you blueprint. do. They, they understand. They can see it. And sometimes you have to build. It's like a baseball building and they will come. I have no problem now because they understand it. And it puts you in a different position and posturing. Uh, It cuts both ways because it's it's, 
it's not necessarily a harder sale, but it's it is not what they are used to. Yes. So I and I don't mind continuing to license and film it and produce it myself and have someone fund it and say, you know how to do this best. Go forth and conquer. Um, But having owned the content and owned, more importantly, the narrative was so critical so that we again, it's a big responsibility, a big honor uh, and a heavy responsibility to to take a narrative for a particular group of people that have never been represented. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, you can make a show about uh black lawyers, black female lawyers, but what do mm-hmm. you do? What do you do with it? You can make a show about uh black doctors, but what are you showing about? It's a real responsibility that you take on in like and this is what we're going to represent for for blackness in this space. And so for expats that are black, this is the first reality show. There's a heavy responsibility. I wanted my grandmother to watch the show and be proud. And she was, I wanted my mother to be able to watch it and say, that's my baby and not say, well, you know, she's not really like that. I did not want that to be (laughs) the the conversation and my kids to be able to go to school and -hmm. for their friends, not to see their mom doing anything weird. I don't have any grandkids yet. But I want them to be able to press play and know that grandma was not only hot, you know, at one right. point in time, but she was also socially responsible. And I, and I and you talk about legacy and being the first at doing something is a real responsibility, but also assuring because reality TV and, t- and media period shapes how we are handled and oftentimes mishandled in yes. international spaces. That's a huge responsibility uh, to be able to put this out and for people to see. Conf- we did have con- a conflict resolution on season one. It was not, you know, it was it was done in the way that I resolve conflicts with my friends. I talk about it. And for there to be a narrative, there were some people on the show This I'm still debating about whether I'm going to put it in the season or not. There's so much that I don't put in for the sake of safeguarding. Um but there was one person that just admitted that as black women, we are seen as loud, uneducated, argumentative. This is their lens of us from, they sit from reality TV. And so to be able to show the diversity of us being in this space and have it be relatable to everyone, because we are like, this is not the, yes, it's through a black lens, but we have, Everybody on the show. We have Singaporeans, Taiwanese, you know, white people, black people. Everybody is a part of the show and everybody is a fan of the show because what is normal for everyone, what is common, relatable, navigating change. And yes, it's through our our black lens, you know, which has a different spin on it because I can't go anywhere here still to get my hair done. That's a whole it's a reality. Nobody thinks about that aspect of, you know, Black life abroad. Um, I almost called the show that, Black life abroad, which I'm, you know, when it when it, it's franchised, don't be surprised. Probably. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah. that, you know, that's the the concept of navigating change is so universal. And um, our, our nuances actually just add to the layers of interest and the dynamics of the storylines as we do with everything in life. So it's uh it's it's been a blessing 
it's been a, a, a hard journey. It's helped me to have a thick skin. I did not know that there were some people that were going to be triggered by seeing all this black excellence. <laughs> and <laughs> no, I didn't know that. I did not. I didn't make the show for people that were going to be bothered by that. I had, I, they weren't even on my mind at all, but for, I'd say 98% of the response has been so positive from everybody that it's just a huge honor. You know, we were on the ballot for the Emmys last year. We didn't get the nomination, but season two, our fingers across NAACP image awards, Telly awards, Webby awards, all of this. But again, the biggest reward for me was a grandmother that said my children want to travel and relocation industry was all over the show <laughs> and someone told me finally someone gave an honest depiction of what it's like to really move abroad and they've never really seen it and never really seen what all people go through with the honest lens so i, I appreciate people who appreciate the transparency of the show you've just listened to an episode of the global chatter which is hosted by me amanda bates it is edited by Stephanie Ficcio. Don't forget to subscribe to The Global Chatter on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Global Chatter or stop by Twitter and find us at Global Chat Pod. If you have a question, want to subscribe to the newsletter, or are interested in sponsoring, visit theglobalchatter.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.